0: Welcome to the Forster's Northern Law podcast, I'm Mary Stickland, knowledge development lawyer in the commercial real estate team and I'm joined today by Glenn Dunn who's the partner who leads our corporate occupier sector group um, and Glenn's also the architect of our own recent consolidation of our commercial real estate group Under One Roof which we'll talk about in a bit more detail later. Welcome Glenn. Morning Mary. Thanks for joining me. Today we were gonna go through um, some of the sort of top tips for um, office relocations for corporate occupiers. So I guess just to start us off, how far in advance do you think that occupiers should start thinking about their office move?
1: Well, I think that's a really good question, Miri. Um, particularly when you look at what's happening in the central London office market at the moment, um, where there's definitely a mismatch between supply and demand. So, what you used to see, you know, was maybe sort of two years um, would be an adequate time to consider a relocation. Yeah. But in fact, if you look now at the demand, you know, people are starting to. Think about things, maybe three years. And in fact, uh, as you may have seen from the legal press, a number of law firms are already uh, declaring potential moves uh, even through into the mid-2020s. Right. Uh, which seems an awfully long way away.
0: Yeah. And I suppose you would not only think about when you actually might need that requirement, but also how it's going to match up with what you're existing.
1: Exactly. And, and a lot of this relocation, of course, is triggered by lease events. Yeah. Um, and those, of course, aren't regular in pattern. It is a difficult one to, to because you've got to weigh up a number of sort of competing interests. You know, not least um, you know you can you can start it at any time, uh, but of course, what you want to do is to bring delivery in in a sensible fashion towards your lease expiry, yeah. so that you don't get caught with double overheads. Yeah, you know, with rent, uh, rate, service charge. You know, which are which are very expensive. Yeah. I would say early planning is really key to all of this. Uh, you know, the earlier you start, the more options you have. Yeah. The later that you leave it, uh, the challenge that you have is that the landlord of your current premises will have a greater uh, leverage over you because they realise you're not going to have time to relocate. Yeah. And that's quite um, a, a key driver, I would say. The, so the earlier you start, the better your chances. You know of. Potentially twin-tracking those discussions, um, and maybe getting a great deal from your existing landlord, which is worth you staying if you can get a whole, you know, refurbishment of your building at no cost. Yeah. Then, then that's that needs to be properly considered.
0: It's lots of things to think about. Indeed. So, can you talk us through some of the key things um, that occupiers would want to think about both? Before and during the process of finding new premises, I, I know that you can speak to this with both your personal and professional hats on um, because we've recently uh, relocated um, our commercial real estate group into Barclay Square House uh, just over the road from um, our main offices at 31 Hill Street. Yes, yeah, so I'm sure you can put a bit of Absolutely. personal insight in there for us
1: yeah I think a, a lease event is a great opportunity to uh, review your business strategy and to see perhaps you know what you could do better, what you're missing out on, or indeed wholly new uh, trends that you know may be coming down the track and for us, as a partner in uh, our commercial real estate mainstream group, uh, I obviously do quite a lot with our specialist groups, including yeah. property litigation, construction and planning. Uh, but we've all been in different buildings, and that has meant that we've potentially missed opportunities that we might have had, you know, if we had seen each other in person rather more. Um, and in fact, it definitely seems to be a trend with a number of corporates, you know, particularly those sort of in the creative sectors, where mm. uh, when architects are designing buildings for them, they uh, look at creating these collision zones, which sort of force employees to um, to bump into each other and therefore to chat and to exchange ideas um, and it really sort of inf- reinforces that that feeling of brand yeah uh, and you know that you are all all you know one one firm.
0: So you really want to think, I guess early on then about who you're actually moving into the space that you're going to occupy. Very much so. And how the design of that is going to facilitate collaboration.
1: That's right. And I think, you know, sort of having flexibility is key there, because uh, all sector groups, uh, departments in any business, you know, they, they they change size over time. And when you're looking potentially you know, at a, a 10-year uh, lease Renewal or a, a, a new lease of space, you know that the groups that you put into any one floor of that space, you know, will hopefully be bigger, um, yeah. but sometimes they may be smaller. Um, and uh, to be able to do that effectively, you know, re- requires you to think ahead to see how you could accommodate growth, indeed, to try and assess what that growth might be. And uh, whilst there's no certainty in that process, where you ultimately want to be is to uh, minimize disruption, particularly what you absolutely don't want is to have to be refitting space yeah. you know, very soon after you've moved in uh, because the design doesn't work. So th- there's a lot to think about in the design phase um, and it has to really be done in tandem with you know, what you want to achieve as a business um, going forward.
0: And so which sort of specialists would you try and get on board Earlier on in in the sort of um, planning stage.
1: Yeah, I think um, well, clearly y- y- the the key person is your agent, and uh, you know they that there are many good agents who are operating whether it's in the central London market or or, or in other markets, um, and uh, you need to find the one that's the right fit for you and your business. Um, in, indeed, a number of agents are now indeed specializing in particular sectors right uh, and they can be very useful because they know what the trends are they know what others have tried uh, and they know what's been successful and what hasn't so they
0: have that more granular level of knowledge about
1: very particular so. sectors
0: of the occupier market
1: that's right and i think once you've been able to tap into that you know you're you're not reinventing the wheel in the same way yeah um, Certain things will, you know, work for the legal sector, which I suspect, you know, don't work for financial services or for, for media uh, businesses. Um, and you know, we we work with both of those groups um, as as lawyers, and you can see quite a difference in terms of the way that they approach design. Uh, in terms of other people in a in a team, you're probably looking at an architect, stroke space planner to help you through the process Um, and one of the difficulties I think is again on timing because uh, do you design the building sort of in isolation, i.e. you work out what you need to have in the building um, and then go and find the building or do you look at do you find the building first and then try and work back and fit in everything that you have to fit in and I I think uh, there's a, a variety of views on that topic, uh, but ideally um, you've got to find a balance to make sure um, that, that the building that you have selected you know, is, capa- is suitable for your requirements. Yeah. And then of course you get on to discussions about location, which is a tricky one uh, for a lot of businesses because of the particularly in central London where the market has gone. You used to have the West End core and the City core, yeah, and, and everywhere else was a sub-market where you could get, you know, decent discounts on rent if you were willing to go there. Because of this lack of supply that I talked about earlier, but we're now looking at one much more constrained central London market, you know, which effectively goes from Paddington in the west over to pushing out to, you know, beyond the city, Shoreditch. In the east, King's Cross, um, Clerkenwell in the north, and the South Bank um, in in the south. So, all of that has has led to a situation where the the um, the, the the savings you could get uh, by relocating to. Uh, a a secondary market are just not there in the the same way that they used to be.
0: Why do you think there is this um, lack of supply, given that landlords obviously will be aware of when lease events are going to be occurring and, and, as you've sort of mentioned before, savvy landlords, you know, will have their eye to what occupiers' requirements are likely to be?
1: I think really it's been the uncertainty, general economic uncertainty, uh, no doubt a sort of a, a, a lack of funding opportunities and availability of debt and um, so I think you can see that uh, a lot of the, uh, the the major developments that are being built are you know by by the, the big players yeah um, and rather less from your what you might call your your tr- traditional uh, non premier league uh, developer yeah um, and uh, the f- funding in particular has always been difficult on a speculative basis uh, it, the, those types of developers prefer to know that they have someone to take the building before they commit yeah um, and uh, you, you've got to have quite deep pockets I suspect if you want to get away from from, from that model so I think um, the, the sort of the average demand over the last ten years is, is about nine million square feet. Um, of of space available, and when you look a little bit down the track, um, you know, coming into sort of twenty, twenty two, twenty twenty three, the demand is already above that level. Right. So and and of that demand, you know, a, 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 a fair percentage is already pre let.
0: So there's going to be considerable um, competition between occupiers Th- to really secure is. the sort of space that's suitable for them.
1: Yes, and I think that is. Is driving a willingness to look at areas which might traditionally not have been of interest to a particular corporate. Yeah. Um, so you know you, you you're seeing a sort of breakdown of that um, you know model whereby you know all creatives are in Shoreditch mm. or Clerkenwell, you know, or um, financial services are in the city or Canary Wharf. Yeah. Uh, businesses are willing to look at you know what makes sense for them to get the building that they want rather than the location yeah and it may be part of a growing trend towards uh, you know greater sort of virtual the way virtual operations in the way that we do business yeah. with our clients i think that the number of face to face meetings has dropped considerably uh, in certainly in in the real estate sector the the focus is very much on getting deals done quickly, mm. um, and if you can achieve that, you know, with conference calls um, and maybe one all-party meeting, uh, certainly that's the sort of model that I usually see within our occupier sector group. Um, but but other than that, you know, much more business seems to be being done. I think you know, in in sort of smaller, you know, offline conversations, yeah, because it's all about Uh, getting resolution of issues from the right person. Yeah. So to take my own sector, you know, in in any sort of pre-let document, uh, you're going to have issues to do with tax, uh, construction, sometimes planning, um, and you may also have uh, dilapidations to consider on the exit of your current premises, um, you know, if if you're not intending to stay. And all of those parts, you know, can be sort of taken and, and, and dealt with almost in a self contained base on a self contained basis. But you at the same time, then my job is to pull it all together. Yeah. and make sure that, that there is a proper review of the holistic whole yeah. um, that sits, you know, together with the with the key conveyancing parts of the documents.
0: Yeah. So, talk us through the difference between taking space in a multi-let building and taking a lease of the whole of the premises.
1: That's a really interesting question, Miri, because that's exactly what we've obviously done yeah. now. <laughs> um, and I think it, there's a, quite a lot to be said, you know, for having your own front door because it allows you to sort of control the the, the feel. You know, of the space, um, the initial impression, you know, when you walk through the door um, and that that whole, you know, sort of brand and image is, is very important to most corporates now. But if you look at the trend, um, you know, even with some very large corporates, um, I think they are all realising that the challenge with your own building is that it only has a finite amount of space. Yeah. And uh, and when it's full, it's full. So short of taking a building which is too big for your needs and then subletting parts until you need it yourself, which of course gives you the primary financial liability on, on, on the, all of the space, you don't really have the opportunity to grow potentially when you need to grow or indeed, you know, to, to contract. Yeah. And that, I think, is dictating for a number of businesses um, a, a move away from the sort of traditional own front door to multi-lets um, where you have other corporates who may or may not be in your sector um, but a, a belief that, you know, that that also is a positive because it allows you know, more sort of opportunity to uh, a more open-mindedness yeah in terms of um, the, the people that you see in your building.
0: And from a practical point of view, it means the landlord's controlling the services, so there's... Yes. Uh,
1: uh, that, that So you are effectively giving up your direct cost control yeah. to a large extent, as you say. I mean, uh, the amount that a landlord spends on reception, security, plants, <laughs> whatever, whatever fit, aquariums, whatever <laughs> um, might be in the reception area, of course, typically gets paid for by... Tenants via the service charge, and uh, you you have the choice when it's your own building as to what you spend, subject of course to the requirements of the lease and your dilapidations at the end of the space. But typically, you know, you you make those day-to-day decisions. It's very different in a multi-let, um, particularly if you've got a lot of competing interests, uh, because corporates have different views about. How much they're willing to spend on that front of house. Well, that was
0: sort of what I was going to come on to next, because I suppose, and something we've talked about separately, is um, occupiers sort of increasing focus on sustainability and well-being. But I suppose you know that also comes at a cost.
1: It does. Yes, sustainability um, has been getting increasing traction with a lot of corporates, largely because it's it's sort of governed by their social responsibility policies. Yeah. And, and for some time, we've been seeing cooperation clauses in leases where uh, the landlord you know, agrees to run its services, you know, in a sustainable way. For example, yeah. And tenants sometimes agree that, you know, in carrying out their fit out, they will have a, have regard to sustainability issues in terms of the the sourcing of um, the materials that they use, and you know, minimising waste and, yeah. and, and and such like. And uh, all of that, I think, is going to continue in significance. Not least because uh, it's of much, con- much concern to uh, people, you know, younger people in the in the workplace, yeah. for whom these issues are are, are are very important. And it it will perhaps take some time to filter through completely to the position where you know you have a a completely smart building. Yeah. Which uh, you know is uh, has light sensors and um, you know the heating is all automatic and, and everything just sort of you know has has its um, it, it, its default settings which you know really help you yeah. uh, to be properly sustainable without human intervention. Uh, but we're moving along those tracks, and I think it's it's a big area for landlords um, in terms of when they de- decide to design a building to think about all of those features that corporates are going to want because you don't really want to be retrofitting those elements you know after after you've done your initial construction
0: right it's better to have it in there for sure already
1: and, of course, these things do come at a cost, you know, they come at a cost to the landlord um, and often you know, through service charge, you know, they will be higher if you if you're doing things sustainably. Yeah. Um, but then that's for corporates to decide whether that increased cost is something that they are willing to pay to be socially responsible.
0: Yeah. So when you get to the stage of negotiating the legal documents, sorry, changing tax likely here, um, what are some of the headline points that occupiers need to focus on? We've talked about sustainability, but what are some of the other sort of areas that you see a lot of of focus on?
1: Sure. Well, I think the first point um, to make, and we touched on this earlier, Miri, is you've got to have a good agent on board. Mm -hmm. um, Because the more you can agree at heads of terms stage, the easier it is, and the quicker it is, um, to get agreement on your legal documents. Sometimes there is a tendency to park the difficult issues um, and say, oh, "Well, the lawyers can deal with that." Um, but ultimately, the lawyers have to take instructions from their clients. Yeah. Um, so you know, you have just kicked the can down the road. Right. Um, so w- we are very much of the view that uh, the initial heads of terms, you know, is a, is a joint effort between the agent, the client and the lawyer yeah. um, and, you know, we each have our own perspective on what's important and, and the more thorough that, that they are, I, I absolutely think that, you know, spending an extra week to get clarity and detail in heads of terms, you know, could save you two or three weeks uh, in legal negotiations if you leave it vague. So you're really looking at lots of practical issues as, as an occupier which is quite different from the way that a landlord sees a set of heads of terms where it's principally about you know, what the rent is and preserving investment value. Yeah. But as we all know, you know to, to uh, live in a space, whether that's at home or at work, it has to be suitable for your needs.
0: Yeah.
1: I think one issue that I try to impress on my corporate occupier clients, you know, particularly um, when they are very excited about um, the building that they've selected uh, and just want to get to an agreement for lease, um, is to though think about what does happen if during the term of the lease the space no longer suits your requirements. Yeah. And that might be because you know you you've Contracted, so you need to offload part of the space. Um, it might be because you've merged or you've acquired another business, um, and suddenly your requirements are much bigger, which means that you have to make a move, or indeed you move out into you know that that other partner's space and um, and and vacate. And so the maximum flexibility uh, that you can get in terms of both assigning. Um, your lease or leases, and that's quite important, particularly if you're taking more than one floor. To think about that, because a part assignment of leases doesn't really work. So, uh, you know, if you if you have say you know four floors in the building, you should seriously consider about taking separate leases um, on on each of those floors. Um, similarly, think about um, what happens if you're in a falling market where you can't assign because um, nobody will take the space on on the rent that you're currently paying that leaves you really with subletting as your only option and uh, depending where you are in your in your lease cycle you might be doing that with only three years left to go yeah and that's when issues like the security of tenure in the 1954 Act, um, London Tenants Act 1954 come into into play because if you have no right to stay and you're only on a three-year, short-term deal. That may make it unattractive to a subtenant. Yeah. You know who knows that they will then, short of, uh, reaching commercial agreement with the landlord to stay, um, will have to move again within yeah. that period. Uh, another point that I find uh, often uh, doesn't get picked up when I you know re- review uh, existing leases for occupiers is uh, the ability to sublet at an inclusive rent. Um, because if, if you are on a short-term arrangement, you want much more certainty over the costs that are going to be passed down to you. And particularly you know, if, if there are capital costs um, in, in a landlord service charge budget, which may be perfectly right and proper for a tenant who's there on a 10-year lease, but to pass them then through to a subtenant who's only there for three years, you know, may, may, may make or break your deal.
0: So really, it's all about trying to build in as much flexibility as possible. And I guess that also applies to um, alterations, provisions.
1: It certainly does. Um, so the, the typical standard, you know, will be non-structural alterations with landlord's consent, um, but with a proviso allowing you to Create or remove internal demountable partitioning, so you know your typical sort of meeting room provision, uh, without any consent. So long as you inform the landlord, and that will usually be subject to not affecting the building services, yeah. uh, The landlord services in the building, um, so you have to think about um, you know the effect on air conditioning and heating. Uh, that's that's an easy one to get wrong when you're creating meeting rooms. You know that that. Um, you, you don't they're not comfortable for people to use yeah um, because the the, the 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 walls that you've put in were not designed to be in those places um, so you yeah, that's very much a practical consideration but one that will cause you untold misery with your employees if you if you get it wrong of course if you have your own building um, uh, and your own front door, then you might want greater flexibility um, in terms of perhaps being able to do structural alterations. Yeah. Um, not least, uh, you know, if you've got your own um, building services systems, um, then you know, that may require a, a higher degree of flexibility within consen- the usual consent um, restrictions.
0: And connectivity is
1: key. It really is. Um, and increasingly, uh, we're finding that the lead times for bringing telecom services into buildings is getting greater and uh, what I absolutely say to every occupier client going into space is that uh, uh, almost the first thing you need to think about on your fit-out is, is your telecom services to know who your provider is um, how long they take once you've placed an order uh, to, to install to agree the routes, because a lot of buildings, of course, particularly multi-let buildings, um, have uh, existing routes um, through the building which will have to be used again by new providers, and uh, to make sure that that gets maximum priority, because it's all very well having the space um, fitted out uh, in time and moving your people in, but if they can't work, Um, (laughs) it doesn't make you very popular.
0: And handily, we've got a future podcast planned on that exact topic of telecoms, so watch this space. So as we've mentioned, we have been through the process, so I was just thinking sort of final words. Are there any lessons that you've learnt as an occupier that was kind of new lessons that you're going to take forward with you? I think
1: when you look at any project, Having people you know who are on the ground and uh, are able to uh, sort of follow up uh, on the various strands that are involved is, is essential. Um, we've got a great project team here at Forsters uh, internally who have really supported me um, through that process and increasingly I think it's about uh, getting good quality speedy decisions about the way forward and then having people who can actually do the implementation. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a lot of projects I think fall down because there isn't enough follow through. Yeah. Um, and uh, you, you need people who are experienced in these areas. Um. You know, who understand about procurement, on out contracts, and you know where you source the coffee machine. And in fact, the coffee machine I'm told by many clients, you know, is is if you get the coffee right, everything else will follow. <laughs> <laughs> So you know it's it's, it's sort of as, as as you know binary as that mm. in in one sense, but you know of course to pull any project together, um, you know it, it takes a lot of effort by many people, um, and I'd really encourage um, the, the visionary thinking. Uh, I think maybe that's one thing that's this was always felt a bit of a gamble um, for us to. Take 130 people and put them in a fully open-plan area with no single offices, even for people who had had one for many many, many years. years. Um, but actually, the f- and the feedback so far, you know, I think has been pretty unanimous that people like the space. Important is to make sure that you do have your key stakeholders on board, um, and. You know, that, that, that otherwise uh, your project may well not achieve its full potential. Um, that doesn't mean that you'll necessarily get um, unanimity. Mm. Um, you know, you perhaps if you're a project leader, you have to think about maybe pushing the boundaries a little bit because you believe that the vision is right for your business. Yeah. Um, and provided that you genuinely feel that and you've got, you know, support, industry support, uh, you know, from the professionals in your, in your external team um, that tell you that this is what your competitors are doing and the way they're moving to work. Or indeed, it might be something that's wholly unique that you want to trial mm. because remember there's nothing wrong with trying something and accepting that it, it's, it, it wasn't necessarily, you know, the, the, the optimal um you know, provided that you know you, you um have the ability to reverse out of something if it's not a success.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today, Glenn. Um it's been really interesting my pleasure. chatting. Um so if listeners uh, would like to listen to any of our other podcasts, you can head over to our website, forsters.co.uk. Uh, we're also on social media, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. And until next time, goodbye. Forsters Modern or Podcast is for general information only and should not be considered to be professional advice. Forsters LLP accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct or consequential loss arising from the use of, reliance on, or reference to this podcast. Forsters LLP makes no warranty or representation as to the accuracy of the information contained in this podcast. The Modern Law podcast and all copyright in it is the property of Forster's LLP and it should not be used, reproduced or quoted whether in whole or part without Forster's LLP's prior written consent.